Never, ever, ever undercut the price that's in the gallery. And never, ever, ever sell out of your studio if you are being represented by a, a gallerist in that community or whatever your contract is with the gallerist. It's a the best way to destroy your career. Start making money with your art today. Welcome to the Artist Appeals Podcast. My name's Erin Sparler, and I'm here to support you on your way to becoming a self-sustained full-time artist. Each week, my guests and I will share practical tips you can apply to start making money with your art. Ready to learn more? Be sure to check out theartistappeals.com forward slash go. Introduce yourself. Hi there. This is me, Susan Hensel. <laughs> I'm talking to you from Minneapolis, where we've got eh, six or eight inches of snow on the ground and on the streets. Well, I'm glad you still have internet. Thank you for joining us. I'm so psyched to have a textile artist on the show. We had Robin Pickens on a while back, and she designs fabric for quilting, but mm-hmm. nothing like you do. I don't think we've had any other uh, textile artists on. Yeah. Well, what I do is unique. I have not found anybody else quite using the processes this way. All right. Well, we'll get into that. I want to hear all about your process under the art thing. But first, let's do the rapid fire questions. Okay. okay? So what everybody wants to know. So number one, what is your number one top selling piece of art or design or style? What, What is the thing that moves for you? Right now, not much of anything, but just before this, <laughs> it was dyed roving and embroidered patches. Dyed roving? Isn't yeah, roving that's... put in quilts? Um, it's similar. Yeah, it's actually used in spinning and weaving. And, oh. and area-wide, I was a well-known dyer. And the work is still out there. It's still being sold pretty pretty handily actually would be the dyed roving so that's always oh. been the biggie yeah right so you can find that in like uh, fabric stores um it is found in in stores that will provide for uh especially for needle filters since that's still kind of big so yes. it's wool i mean it's wool in kind of a rope form and okay. and it's uh fun to dye i'm just yeah. Yeah, yeah. I just had a, I still have a backlog of already dyed fibers. So I don't have to dye right now. So I kind of forget. Right. That I have it, so, because it's still paying me. Yeah. I love wool. I love wool and cashmere. In fact, I'm wearing a very cool cashmere sweater thing with, with oh with pockets. pockets oh my yes. god it's a little bit long and it's got pockets I live in wool and cashmere in the winter yeah live it yeah. Love. yeah all right number two what is the one thing you love to create or make oh my goodness I love to digitize the designs it's I get I lose time I just utterly lose time it's detail oriented, but it's it's like working in Photoshop or Illustrator. And I just get sucked right in trying out different color layers, different shapes, trying to figure out what's going to work. It just, oh, love it. Love it. Cool. 
Cool. Okay. The converse of that, number three, what is the one thing you hate to do or make as a creative entrepreneur? I think I'm going to have to say like all of us, oh my God, I hate the book work. You know, the, I the, hear that a lot. The book, yeah. marketing, the social media. You know, I like the marketing part pretty well. Um, yeah. I've been marketing since I was a little person, it seems like, you know, since my 30s anyways. But uh, it's the inventory, inventory numbers, the weights, the size of the boxes, and the photos at all different sizes for all different reasons and keeping track of all that stuff. And then yeah, you really yeah. keep organized and have a system, right? I do. I do have a system. And I also have a one day a week assistant who oh, I nice. rely. Yes. And, and I don't every, every single month of the year have an assistant because they come and go, but I'm better off if I have one day a week assistant yeah. because because my young assistants actually can type. I am the most dyslexic typer you've ever seen in your life because I can't touch type. So things come out pretty oddly because I'm sort of looking at my fingers going very fast and there's garbage <laughs> up on the screen. Um, I get so, it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I never. Learned it. I'm, a, I'm a Montessori girl. Uh-huh in the 70s and so i'm one of the worst spellers ever thank yeah. god for spellcheck yeah yeah i'm a i'm what i would call a moderate speller but you wouldn't know it from my typing oh my goodness <laughs> so you know, so yeah they awesome. do things like that they do databases they do excel spreadsheets and yeah yeah like and you just does. find somebody local I do. I do. I'm better off in person because I'm not quite organized enough to do um, remote. I tried remote once and Mm -hmm. it wasn't a good fit for me because what I really like with an assistant is a number of things. Um, I live alone, work alone. It's good to have another human being. So I like the relationship. Yeah. And I also like when I have a really good one, and this one is a really good one. I like the brainstorming and I like the mentoring and I like expanding their skill sets as they do for me. Yeah. So, um, so I like the give and take there and I like being able to say, well, Sarah, what do you think? I mean, she helped me title a piece. She's done that a couple of times now. Yeah. This orangey red piece here, we titled on Monday. It's, it's been around. you to the one with the dots and the kind it of with the dots, yeah, oh, yeah, it's, neat. Yeah. Get- it's called um, constellations in the fourth dimension. There actually are four layers to it, uh huh, physical layers, and and um, I'm hoping that it is the beginning of an investigation in a new colorway, but still on some of the issues of physics and climate change, which all the blue stuff is kind of about. So very cool. I like it. Like yeah. It. Well, it sounds like you turned a negative into a positive. I love the way you did that. Something that was a challenge for you um, has you've outsourced it and found help, and that's become a positive for you. That's fantastic. Oh yeah, yeah. It it balances really well then, because if it's just outsourcing, like you know, here are the receipts, do something with them. There's no relationship to speak of, 
And the relationship is very positive. And I, I kind of have a motto for mentoring. And I, I consider all of these young people mentees. And it's acknowledgement, permission, and tools. So acknowledge where they are. Give them permission to stretch. Give them the safe environment to say, ooh, I don't agree. What about this? And then give them the tools to stretch more. So oh, I love it. That is great advice. I love it. Yeah. I want to come be a mentor, mentee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I start a new one tomorrow. It's I'm excited. And it'll yeah. be a stretch for me because she's a photographer. Oh. Yeah. Caring. Yeah. Yeah. It'll she wants some. Um, to investigate work-life balance. And so we'll see what we can come up with. Very cool. Yeah. yeah. Remind me to come back. I want to ask you how you find your um, assistants and Mm -hmm. select them. I want to, I want to. Okay. I got to ask you number four, which is what is the funniest or weirdest experience you've had as an artist? Tell us a story. Okay. This was, oh, a gazillion years ago when I was still doing art festivals, I was working in clay and I did dinnerware and I had developed a mug that was kind of the shape of a ball and a toddler walked up to the booth, picked up the mug and threw it. (laughs) Of course. Of course. You know, my kid was only a little older than a toddler. I utterly understood. (laughs) I think my kid was four and theirs was three, you know. Did it break? Oh, smithereens. (laughs) Absolute smithereens. Yes. Horrified. Oh, the parent was just mortified. And I don't, as I recall, I didn't let them pay for it because, oh my goodness, my kid would have done it too. Yeah. Yeah. That was sweet of you. <laughs> I mean, I laugh. I mean, I know that none of these things are, are what do you call it, um, masterpieces. They're just things that we make. And some are, are closer to a masterpiece than others. But, you know, you got to hold them lightly. You got to wow. hold them lightly. I love that. That's going to be a quote. You got to hold them lightly. Mm-hmm. I have problems with that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I get attached to the work. Yeah, well, those are the ones you priced really high. (laughs) Well, that leads us to a really great next question, which is, how do you price your work? This new work, this work is in like the last, well, most of what you're seeing here is in the last year, but this is about the last four or five years. And it's work that belongs in galleries. So it's a different place. And pricing it is really weird for me. Um, I had systems for the clay. It was easier to come up with a system for the clay. Uh, With the clay work, it was an approximation of what I think the materials were. It comes by the ton. How much of a ton did you use? And then multiply that by 10 and then double it and, and see if that fits in the market. So if mugs are going for 20 bucks and yours come in at 40, you got a problem. If mugs are coming in at 20 bucks and you came in at 10, you have a problem. So you want to be in the market. Yeah. One way or another. And so I look at this mainly as market. The biggest expenses with this are the box, building boxes for them. And of course, the machinery, because these are computer aided um, sewing machines. and 
these are the kinds of things you take five-year loans for. So fortunately, they are without interest, most of them, because the manufacturers know that they need to do that. Um, and so those are the primary exp direct expenses. Um, the materials themselves are not that expensive, and there are ways to accommodate the waste um, through reuse and also through recycling. So that kind of takes care of itself. So what I had to come up with instead was, where do I belong in the market? And I've been an artist for 50 years, and I've been exhibiting in galleries for the last 20 or so. And so again, it's making my own shows a lot of the time, but I'm still in the galleries. And so it's how do I fit professionally in this marketplace? And what kind of what kind of premium do I add on for the fact that this stuff is not being done by somebody else? Yeah. 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 And that is so a challenge, isn't it? It is a challenge because there's no really good way to do it directly from materials and time. Yeah. Um, because it's it's not direct. Despite the fact that I use computers and machinery, it's really intuitive anyways. And, yes. and so you, you have a hunk of cloth that you think you're going to use one way and then you find you aren't going to. And you have to play with it. And they take months sometimes to finish because of that. But these are running, um, the blue piece behind my head, I think is priced at about 3,000 and it's about 50 inches tall. That's low for an East Coast market. It's not terribly low for Midwest. And the the smaller ones that you're seeing here, um, 1,200 maybe. Mm -hmm. My most expensive work is probably 10,000 and I actually donated it. It wasn't fiber, but I donated it to a college. So that was cool because it couldn't really travel anymore. So, oh, neat. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. So, well, that is really cool. Thank you so much for sharing that because it is a question that artists ask all the time. Mm -hmm. And everybody comes at it a little bit differently. Some people try and do per square inch, some people try and do yeah. material. You know, it's, it's very challenging. It really is. And one of the things I do talk to my mentees about, and you probably did with your students too, is that part of the pricing conundrum is you have to be, you have to be in a sweet spot. It's okay to be on the low side of what the market is if you're an emerging artist, but it's mm -hmm. not okay to look like you're undercutting everybody. Because number one, you, you look like you aren't taking yourself seriously. And this is work, folks. Whether you're doing yeah. it full-time or not, it's work. And, yeah. and you also don't want to look like you are trying to unfairly compete with the other people in the marketplace because you need to network everywhere. Right. You need everybody's support, including your competitors. They are probably some of your most important relationships out in the art world as the other artists because they can help refer you to other places. Yeah. And so it's a good idea to have a good relationship in in the kind of marketplace that I'm in. And the other one that I always talk about, and this is from both sides of the block for me, because I am a gallerist as well as an artist who shows in other people's galleries. Never, mm -hmm. ever, ever undercut the price that's in the gallery. And never, ever, ever sell out of your studio if you are being represented by a, a gallerist. 
in that community or whatever your contract is with the gallerist. It's a the best way to destroy your career. Mm. You will be Good blacklisted. Advice. You will be right. blacklisted. So now is it okay to sell out of your studio if your gallery is in another state? Depends on what your agreement is. Mm-hmm. It depends on what your agreement is. A fair number of artists who are higher up in sales than I am have multiple galleries that represent them. And so the contracts that they they draw up sometimes are things like this gallery does all the works on paper, this gallery does all the paintings, or they'll have an agreement about how they co-promote, or they might have agreement that says, we have these 13 states, you have those 13 states, and somebody else has another, and somebody else has Europe. Right. That's yeah. very interesting because I know in licensing, you always want to have a contract mm-hmm. and you want to specify what product they can print your art on yeah. and in what region. Yeah. So I had never heard of a gallery. I like that idea, though, that yeah. one gallery may represent one medium yep. to a certain region. Yeah. And then that becomes very easy to say to somebody, hey, you can get my works on paper in this gallery and you can get my paintings from this gallery yeah. contact them yeah yeah and one of the conundrums in the gallery world is that a lot of the galleries are actually reluctant to write up contracts but you do i know isn't it weird it's it's not as oh the gallery world is very strange it's it tries to behave like licensing but without all of the paperwork and that's one of the reasons that artists um, often have trouble. You know, it a lot of it is it relies on trust, and I mean everything in this world does, and and all all sales are are agreements, they're interactions, yeah, of trust. But oh, some of them are not honest. Obviously, I mean, it's they're humans, so yes. they're humans, and so it there is some delicate treading on eggs around these issues but many galleries not all will do these kinds of contracts and frankly if you're a big name they'll do somersaults for you if they've decided you're the next big thing and you've demonstrated it oh they'll turn somersaults for you so hey that's good to know and i think the key point is here that the uh, takeaway is that you've got to ask for the contract that you've got to protect yourself and ask for a contract and read the contract. One of the things that you can do, because you can queer a relationship in the gallery system with contracts sometimes, but you could do a letter of agreement, which is a little less binding, but it would at least put in writing. You could say something like, you know, I would really like to put our agreement in writing in some way. How about if we come up with a letter of agreement? I agree that you're going to take 40% on X number of sales and that you represent me for X amount of time in X region. And then you have to have some agreements about framing and things too, and how that's going to be handled. And while it might not have quite as much legal force as a contract, it will still give you at least one of your legs to stand on if there's a dispute. Yeah. So that's one of the ways. Reference. You know, it's something that you can come back to and say, hey, I thought this is what we agreed on if there's any communication issues. Yeah. Well, and I've had communication issues. (laughs) 
I've had communication issues with a couple of my um, commissions. One was a grant and one was a straight up commission. And I was communicating all the time. I mean, I was sending them information. And then toward the end, they went, oh, that wasn't what we were thinking. It was like, were you looking at what I was sending you? And for one of them, I had to write back and say, uh, as per the contract, you get one widget on approval. And then I move from there and I'm doing it, you know, and, you know, as per the contract. What did they say? Well, it was actually my, uh, the consultant who hired me was fine with it. It was the designer underneath for the hotel who was trying to micromanage. Oh. And, and I had to, I had to do a compromise and that's fine. You have to. You have to in these situations, but I also had to let the consultant know that there's a little too much micromanaging. And as per the contract, which I have fulfilled, actually in a very timely, early manner, here's what you're getting. There are no redos here. You know, I have it in the contract about whether there are redos too. I mean, they have an early chance to say, oh, that wasn't at all what we were thinking. Yeah. And and then if it's not what you were thinking at the end either, you know, even once you prove that, then I'm not quite sure what we're going to do. I think you're going to pay me. <laughs> so, I love it. Yeah. I love you know. it. And that leads us brilliantly into A for art. Let's talk about this process that you use to mm-hmm. make art. It sounds so unique. I love that you're talking about working with a hotel and an interior designer and you said there was an agent involved yeah there's um, this, about yeah. Your process for this is some, work yeah this is something i'm just starting to do because a lot of the new work really will work well in that kind of environment oh um, yeah yeah i mean look at that I blue thing behind me decorated in your art it's very modern it's very colorful yeah it's very Temporary. I yeah. think it would make you know, so many hotels. They just have this random abstract stuff. Yeah. That's like, yeah. You know, it just doesn't have any emotion to it. Right. No. Yeah. No guts. <laughs> yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, there's a there are a lot of um, art consultants out there, and they are the people who are hired by hotels when they're redesigning, builders, architects and things like that and sometimes by collections and um i have a list of about 300 or so of them and i've had relationships with two of them one hasn't generated money yet but they have me on a for several years they've had me on a list for like a ninety thousand dollar project which maybe isn't going to happen because you know covid happened in between right yeah but they actually purchased um from my gallery one of my artists because they had a relationship with me and for a private client of theirs and they said and by the way we're still working that job that we really want to put you forward on so it's a connect with these art consultants and build I'm trying this to remember um i know how i did it just a few weeks ago um right. these two i can, yeah let's start with that because i cannot <laughs> i cannot entirely remember how i found these two one is in canada uh-huh. Farm Boy Arts of all the names, they contacted me. I'm going, oh, this is a scam. 
And, <laughs> right? You know, farm boy arts with this stuff. I would think country kish. Yeah, me too, know? but it's not. Thomas <laughs> Kincaid. It's actually, they're huge. They are just Kelly. a huge agency. And they work all over the world. So, you know, I do your research. <laughs> do right. your research. Um, and then the other one, um, Soho Myriad, I think is a newer agency out of Atlanta. And they must have seen one of my shows because I do, I show all over the United States. I really do. But now I have a, a really robust list of art consultants. I mean, I keep up my email lists like you wouldn't believe. I've been collecting emails for 30 years. You know, so That's I've fantastic. got, I've got close to, I'm getting close to 8,000 emails now. And I did actually purchase a list from, wish I could remember who, because I want to go to them again, uh, from uh, a list agent that I knew was good, you know, had enough bona fides and they guaranteed their lists. And if there are too many bounces, get back to them. So I purchased uh, a list of art consultants, which was about three. Mm-hmm. 300 names. And I I did up a mailer for them that it's a all virtual, but I wrote them a good cover letter. Hi, it's me. You know, I I do this kind of artwork and it's appropriate for these environments. And I am tried, true, and tested. I I deliver on time and and as as needed. Yep. Yep. And the uniqueness, yada yada yada. It's here. Oh my God. You can get a printed version of the Artist Appeals on Amazon now. It looks so good. Oh, I'm so psyched. I like it in the paperback. The Artist Appeal. This is my first copy from Amazon.com. You can get your copy of The Artist Appeals, The Seven Steps for How to Make Money as an Artist, which summarizes some of the best stories, tips, tricks, lessons, quotes from the first two seasons of the podcast. Here it is, folks. I can't believe it. It's been a lot of work, guys. So there you have it. The printed version's out. Go get yours on Amazon. And then I created in Artwork Archive, which is my preferred database, um, a private room just for them. Oh, nice. He was on, the founder of Oh, I heard that. Yeah. I love that product. It is so flexible. Uh, You know, there are a few things that I'll run into. I go, oh, I wish I could do that. Um, But it has so much going for it. And I was able to develop a set of artworks that I knew could be could be purchased outright or could uh-huh. be or could be reproduced in other colorways or could be resized within um certain tolerances that we would have to negotiate and uh-huh. and, I, and I said that and so it was a one page private room and i had um something like a 42% open rate on that email good god nice. you know that's a cold email. You usually get a 5% open rate and you're doing great on yeah. a cold call. Yeah. And, and I got probably 10 emails off of that saying, not right now, but we're putting you in our database. So nice. I, I call that a win. Yeah, I do too. That's do a too. win. So, so let's talk about this art process of yours. Sure. You've got some crazy ass machines and... Mm-hmm. You went from clay to fiber. Uh, yeah, well, there was something in between too. 
<laughs> I've been at this a long time. You know, my first sale was off of a clothesline in a park when I was like 16, maybe. And it was, oh, you know, it was, it was a drawing, you know, of, of a person. And I, I went to college and I came out with two majors. One was painting and one was sculpture. And I'm not drawn to painting in the same way. I can mix colors, but I'm not pictorial in that way. I am much more attracted to tools and materials and three dimensions. And as a consequence, I have skills in lots of different areas. So I worked in clay for the better part of 15 or 20 years, because frankly, it takes that long for you to get really good at clay. And then you can go, oh, wait a minute. Is this the right media for what I'm trying to do? Huh. I really think that's the question. Like, how do you find your artistic voice? So you worked for 15 years in clay and yeah. then you decided that wasn't your medium and transitioned to fiber. What was I the catalyst? Well, I transitioned actually to handmade paper and books. Okay. And um, that's actually where my, initially where my reputation was made because those are in collecting libraries and museums all over the United States. Oh, wow. And, yeah, yeah, that was a good move. And the reason I went there was my hobby was making paper because it's fun. And in the clay, I was beginning to transition out of dinnerware into things that would communicate something else. But but it wasn't the right medium to communicate. People were not even getting in the ballpark of where my heart was. They're going, oh, that's different. You'd get the, oh, that's different kind of response, <laughs> you know, that damned with faint praise stuff. And, yeah. and, and so, you know, you're just not catching them and it could be, you're not in the right environment, but it's also, yeah, there's something isn't connecting, it might be connecting to me and it was valuable to do. I actually still love those pieces, but I realized I needed to bring a little bit of language to it. And I've always been a writer. And the writing has been on and off, but I'm not a terrible writer. Let's put it that way. And, mm-hmm. and I love the, uh, the power of the book to be part of that history of knowledge, but also for it to be an interactive sculptural experience. So it fulfilled a lot of my needs. It was interactive. It was three-dimensional. It communicated a little bit more directly, but it also was highly visual. Yeah. And and it was a subterfuge, too, because, you know, people pick up a book and they start reading and they aren't expecting what maybe is going to come because an artist has done this. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. love books. I mean, I did that crafts. My 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 uh, 3D book is over there. Yeah. 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 I, I, there's something about books. They say that books can be passed up to seven or 10 times, something yeah. like that. Yeah. So they have this life. They travel and they move and they they move us. Yeah. I love well, that. Well, and they keep doing their work in the world, which is one of the concepts I've come up with for myself, having to do with artwork, is that we make the artwork first and foremost for ourselves, obviously. But you, when you begin to make more than you can give away, you have to start doing something about it, you know. And yeah. And as you search for those places where somebody will actually buy it, um, in the meantime, it's still out doing its work in the world. 
So, so I think it's really important for the stuff to be seen one way or another. And so I'm really intent on the work of artwork in the world because it works beneath language in a lot of ways. It just sneaks in there and, and affects people. And they don't always have words to describe what's happening to them, but they are affected. And that's really important to me. You know, that's a great transition into product because you're talking about the work of the artwork. What is its job out there in the world? Mm -hmm. And so I use the appeals acronym, art, product, presentation, educate, amplify, licensing, contract terms, and sales, just to categorize and try and organize massive amount of information. Yeah. I really do think product, um, what you're saying kind of summarizes the idea of product that there is a role yeah art out there in society there's a role for art and what role does your art fulfill it can be something as very mundane and as very product based as you know a mug with yes. design on it a coffee mug wherever it went <laughs> yeah yeah you know, with some expression or saying, Mm -hmm. Um, but I love that your fine art, your fiber art in your work, your books, you still categorize as having a function. They do. So um, let's talk a little bit about, we still haven't got, so let's not leave art just yet. Tell us your process. You've got to tell us how you make these things. Okay. And then we'll go to product next. Okay. (laughs) It starts in the computer. Sometimes I do paper models, but not very often. I've been working with my hands, my brain and space for 50 years, right? Or more. And so I don't, at this stage, need to draw every detail like I did when I was in my 20s. Um, And that's fine. And so I can go directly to the, the computer and draw in the digitizing programs. Now, these are programs that are very similar in nature to both Photoshop and Illustrator, but what you're drawing with is stitches. And so um, you're still working in layers like you would, especially in Photoshop, the layers relate very clearly. And then you're working in vector shapes and you're, you're stacking them up lines and and vectors. And so you're stacking them up and And the order in which you stack them certainly changes what they look like, as well as changing what order they stitch in. So So they literally overlap the stitches? Mm -hmm. I do. That's how I get the lushness of what you see glowing behind my head. I'm working, I mean, there's physics involved here too, that has to do with the particular nature of embroidery threads. And, okay. and, and some of the things that we know about how color works. And so I'm working with the color of the substrate, which for yep. me is usually polyester felt because of what I'm doing. I like to fold it and make permanent folds. So felt's great. And I like the bite of the, of the stitch into the felt. It kind of sinks in and is a little bit dimensional there. But that I is... I no idea they even made polyester felt seems that's like what most of it is I know doesn't it sound awful I know yeah. I know most textile people go oh ew did you ever try wool I said I love wool felt 
and it's like $50 a yard and it doesn't permanently fold. Oh, okay. So, so there, there are reasons for choosing what I choose. And, uh, and then the, the colors are overlaid and the way I work with it most of the time, they're being overlaid in thin layers so that a lot of the felt underneath is showing through. And, and then I layer color on color to get the richness. And on top of that, the thread is, uh, it's polyester embroidery thread, which is tri-lobal. So it's basically a triangular shape cross-section, more or less. Interesting. So, so think about that and light. So color is reflected light, right? Right. And, and the, and the um, angle of the reflection determines what the color is. Well, if it's triangular, it's going to reflect at all kinds of angles. And so what that means is that if you have a solid blue, like an ultramarine blue, it's going to sparkle like nobody's business. And that's because it's going to be showing you all the versions of ultramarine blue that are reflecting off. And we all know that ultramarine blue comes in green ultramarine, red ultramarine, just ultramarine, ultramarine. So you get kind of the spectrum of the blue. And so it's really fascinating. And, and so if you begin to layer close complements or, or um, I always forget what it's called when they're like two steps away on the, on the color wheel. Analogous? What is it? Analogous. Yeah. And then yeah. split analogous. Yeah. Oh, I love split analogous. It's, they're so beautiful. And so if you begin to work with those relationships and let it all show in some way, you're going to multiply your, your color range using only three threads. Oh, fascinating. So really you're doing optical mixing in threads. Yep. I am. That is so cool. I love it. And your brain completes it. So let's complete this loop. How did you come to this from clay to books? to optical mixing with textiles? Well, the story is I went to the state fair. I mean, that's the real story. Um, okay. Okay. I mean, like like a lot of women growing up in the 50s, yes, I was involved in textiles. You know, mm-hmm. I learned to embroider. And and because I am exceedingly short, at one time <laughs> I was five. Join the club. <laughs> yeah. At one time I was five, five feet tall. I'm not anymore. So I had to sew my clothes in the 50s. Because okay. there was nothing we could order in that would fit me. They had yeah, petite was not a thing back then. No, it, it wasn't. And so I became a pretty good seamstress. So I always was at home in the fiber world. Um, but twenty some years ago, I moved to Minneapolis from Michigan. And when I moved here, I moved here right after I'd had my carpal tunnel surgery done, so I could knit again. Oh. <laughs> Yes, I may still have had the Band-Aid on me. I don't know, but I could knit again. So I started knitting and then I thought I should should spin. I should make my yarn. Spinning's lovely. I love it. And that's how I got involved with wool. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a hobby. Be careful what hobbies you choose. But <laughs> I know. <laughs> but key experience for living here and becoming as close to local as one can, having been born elsewhere. Uh, you go to the state fair, which is huge, and it's about the size of where I grew up, just the state fair. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, a city-sized permanent piece of property. 
in the middle of Minneapolis. And one year when I went, I went to the demonstration building to see what the manufacturers were putting out there. You know, the the crazy knives and vacuum storage things for food. And I rounded a corner and there was a sewing machine with nobody attending it, with a hoop on it, with nobody touching it. And Donald Duck was being stitched out. And I didn't care about Donald Duck. I mean, but his midi shirt was the most amazing blue I had ever seen in my life. I was absolutely transfixed. And at that moment, I knew I was turning left in midstream and I had to possess that. I had to figure out how to use that machine and that color because I could just dimly see that that I could take it somewhere. I didn't know quite where it was, but I had to. And so I tried for several years to finance and with grants and whatnot. I took a loan out on the first machine, got a grant to get the software. And I got the first software that was made for Macintosh. And it was a horrible piece of software. Horrible, (laughs) horrible piece of software. I know, I love Macs. Oh, I do too. I am a Mac native, you know. But this software crashed and burned routinely. It's, I mean, it really was really unstable. But I fulfilled the grant, put up the show with original embroidery, trained myself in it with some help, but almost all the training out there is about how to put the existing teddy bear design on your shirt. Yeah. It wasn't about how to make that teddy bear design. Right. So it was really tough to learn because it took me until probably the end of the grant before I began to understand the actual structure of the embroideries and that the that really I was working with combination of illustrator and Photoshop, but with stitches and yeah, it was, it was really hard and fascinating. And the day after I fulfilled my grant, I bought a PC and better software. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. What is this machine called? Well, they're called um, just simply embroider machines. So And they're made for the home market, and they're also made for the commercial market. And um, I started with a one-needle baby lock machine, typical machine. And then I moved up to a 10-needle brother machine, which allowed me about 11 inches stitching field. Frustrating, but you can work modularly. But I was researching, how can I upsize? What can I do? And I found the Recoma machines, and I have a 48-inch hoop now. Yeah, so I can stitch 48. So that means I can stitch an embroidery that is approximately 20 inches by 46 inches. I mean, it it takes days and days and days and many, many bobbin changes. Um, But that really opened up the possibilities um, for architectural scale or for just simply doing multiples in one hoop for Ah. the smaller objects. Because like any good sculptor, I work with modules that then get put together to form the whatevers. And I discovered all of this stuff. And about- that's where the link is from the clay doing yes. modular pieces that yes. you put together in a bigger sculpture. Oh, fascinating. And there's another connection that goes throughout my whole 
um, output uh, my whole career. When I was um, in seventh grade, so 12 going on 13, my father had a sabbatical where he taught in Taiwan. And so we all moved to Taiwan for a year as he did. Yeah, it was really cool. And we just soaked in the culture and soaked in the design. And I was utterly captivated with the compositions. And my mother took um, Chinese brush painting while we were there. And the compositions and the way the line worked just stayed with me, as did the the shapes. So my pottery really reflected the shapes and a lot of the brushwork was reflected um, without being strictly derivative. But over time, what I see going through there is uh, partly the use of color, but also the composition. The compositions kind of refer back to some of the uh, Far Eastern and Middle Eastern things that I was exposed to. And I think it's interesting the way everything that an artist experiences can inform their work and lead them to their voice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I don't think voice resides necessarily in a single medium. It resides Mm -hmm. in the approach. And Ah. that's where I think it resides because initially, if all you're seeing are a few of these and a few of the books and one or two of this and that's is, you might not see the connection, but if you saw the everything, the, there are outliers in there. We all make outliers, but overall, there there is um, consideration of materials and content and composition that kind of draws through. And my intent from clay onwards, the key bottom line intent in everything I've done has been to provide an experience so that the work goes out in the world to work at providing an experience for you. And the reason I made dinnerware was, yeah, I wanted to make some money. I mean, of course I did, but I also, but I also wanted for the users to have a different experience of their meals. I wanted them to be able to slow down and consider the aesthetics of what was in front of them because their food would taste better if they could see it differently. The relationships at the table um, would be different if everything is served on handmade stuff. All my food is served on handmade stuff. Would you like to get everything you need to build your art business all in one place so you can just focus on doing what you love, creating? Well, now you can. This is the book that I wish I'd had when I was teaching. You can now get The Artist Appeals, How to Make Money as an Artist in Seven Steps instantly. Plus, you get three free bonuses included with the book. For just the price of the book, you're going to get The Artist Appeals one-page planner that brings it all together in one place. You get The Artist Appeals workbook, which has over 80 pages of checklists and worksheets. Print it out, fill it out, put it in a binder, and you've got a business plan. As well as The Artist Appeals online course, which has over 55 lessons and I'm adding more all the time. So if you want the latest resources, if you want everything you need all in one place to grow your art business, then check out 
howtomakemoneyasanartist.com. So the presentation, yeah. they do say in fine food and cuisine that the presentation yeah. is part of the food. So you made the presentation part of the plate. I mean, that yeah. is fantastic. Yeah. Now, how does that translate to your textiles now? Well, my so goal is a presentation. My goal once again is to make you slow down stop in your tracks. And when it's your piece, you might even be awestruck. You might just kind of go, then oh! the colors tend to do that to people. But by being, being able in this fast paced um, environment that we all live in to slow down for even 30 seconds, we can all do that. I don't care what the, you know, what the, uh, the due date is, you know, on, on yeah. the project, we can all go, and then return mm. to the task at hand, refresh. So there, it's like a mini Sabbath. And part of my self-care is to always, in quotes, because some weeks you can't, but always take one day off a week to just not be in the studio. Mm. Yeah, yeah. How about E for educate? You talked about your assistant, how you have an assistant. And I said, I was going to come back to this. So this actually leads us. We went a P P E. Uh, yeah. So how do you find your assistants that become mentors? It, it doesn't sound as simple as just putting an ad out there. Hey, I need yeah. somebody to help me package and ship my designs. It yeah. sounds like you find kindred spirits. Most um, of the time I have managed and it's been, um, it's been pure dumb luck a lot of the time. Um, my very first one um, was, a, a, frankly, a high school student who had asked to study with me. And then I had him work for me for a while um, before he went to college. And then the second one, um, who was just fantastic, he set up my first database, was a young man who worked at a rubber stamp store that I taught at. And he had been a student of mine there, too. And he was just rock solid in so many ways. And when the store was closing, I asked the people who owned it, I said, is Scott still around? They said, sure. Oh, cool. And so he was just finishing up college and he was in that in-between stage of still drinking too much beer, but not quite sure what he was going to do next. You know, <laughs> And he came to work for me. That stage can last a while. Oh, uh, yeah, I can, especially in boys. Um, but <laughs> I still remember several years in when he came to work one day, he said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I must be getting old. I used people to drink six beers and I'd feel fine. I feel like shit, you know, <laughs> Just, I said, well, Scott, how old are you? I'm 25. I said, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. You, you can't drink as much at 25 as you did at 21, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. But he did, um, he did data work because he did set up the database. He, he went through FileMaker Pro and made it, made it kind of work. And, um, and then uh, he was a very skilled bookbinder. And so the journal stuff he would bind up for me because I had a business in journals, you know, locally. Oh, oh, I want one of your journals. I bet you they are a sight to behold. 
Well, there's some were very simple and some were just um, over the top. I did a lot of collage with them at that time and and aging of them so that they would look like something that had been in grandma's drawer, you know. Yeah. yeah. And I just, so that was lucky. Yeah. I just got a journal that's indigo dyed watercolor paper. Oh, I think the thing was $40, but I had to have it. And I already... It, it's just, it's so, it's a beauty to, to work in. Well, and you know, because I know you work um, in um, paper media, flat media, that the paper makes all the difference in the world. It makes oh all my gosh, the difference yes. in the world. Oh, um, oh my God. Yeah. It right now I'm in love with. It's a life of its own. Oh yeah. It's not just, it's not just a substrate. Yeah. 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 Okay. So A for amplify. How do you do more and, you know, circumnavigate that overwhelm that I think being yeah. a solo artpreneur brings on? You were talking about um, taking a day off, making yourself take a day off. Do you have any tips or tricks that you'd love to share about amplifying through automation? Because obviously you are the queen of automation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I... You know, it's it's really, 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 really important to get your name out there and to get your brand out there. And I know artists go, oh, brand. But no, we are brands. We are. that. I mean, it's your style, folks. That's your brand. And so don't feel icky about it. Um, and it's you've got to get out there all the time, all the time, all the time. And it's good for you. you. Do that. Yeah. How do I do it? I do it with. Planally. Oh. Yeah. Now to do it with planally, obviously I have to take pictures as I go along. And and I try to do that because it's also important as part of education to to have things to talk about. And my the blog on my website, a certain amount of it is just, hey, here's the show. But there are deeply educational articles on there from which I can develop storylines on Instagram, for instance. And these are things that once I have the photos, I can have an assistant do also. So you train the assistant to make all the photos square. And when you have a brilliant assistant who who is creative and wants to try things, they might figure out how to make text go across it at an angle, because that's the right thing for that piece. And, and then you just line them up on planally. It's one of the best investments I made was planally. So when you when you're in the mood for, you don't have the energy to be hands on creative, yeah. But but you know you can do a little bit of image processing. So you yeah. sit down at the computer and you you do the photographs one night and then you go okay plug them into Instagram boom you know through planally boom 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 boom, and you can even do TikTok off of there now. Although I I haven't added it on. I do. Instagram, Facebook, and um, Twitter through planning. Yeah, so and, you schedule out a week, two weeks. Yeah, like that. yeah, I'll I'll do it about two weeks out. I'm due to do it again. Um, that's good advice. Yeah, and so I did a little bit the other night. I'm a little bit behind right now, but but that's right. how I take the stress off of it because yeah. I will not do it from my phone. It's too time intensive. Yes. It's it's just too much. I use my phone to photograph things all the time. 
Yeah. And um, and I will photo process those to be um, at least placeholders until I get you know my good photos made. But oh, um, that's a good idea. Yeah. So if you have an idea for a post, but you don't have the best photo. Yeah. You can still set it up in Plannerly, and then. Yeah, and then get it back in. Or I'm good enough with Lightroom. I do a combination of Lightroom and Photoshop because I'm I not love Lightroom. I, I love it. it. You're the only person it. I've met who uses Lightroom. Everybody else says, "What's Lightroom?" It's oh, a no. game changer. It is. I mean, it's allowing me to manage a catalog of like sixty thousand images. Yeah, ridiculous. And, well, and what I can do with exposure in there, and what I yeah. can do with lighting. What if? Because I can't ever quite get the even lighting on the larger pieces. I yeah. have lights, but I can't. You know, I'm not expert. I had my son, the photographer, say, "Do this, do that," and I did this, did that. You know, that's that's the kind of photographer I am. But I can put it in Lightroom. And I can put on um, a fake light, you know, and yeah. and then I'll get it. And I can texturize. Yeah. I can yeah. I can bump up the texture on these yeah. things. And I Have do you see the sync feature in Lightroom. So if you photograph fifty images all under the same light, yeah, and you decide that they all need the same. Oh setting, yeah, you can sync them. Yeah, and yeah. And it makes each one of them. Yeah. Oh, it's it's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't like. Yeah, yeah. I don't have the kinds of things that would sync well, but I I think it's a great thing. But what I love is that I can, you know, bump up the shadows. I can make the the bumpy wall with nail holes in it white. I mean, yeah. it's fabulous. And then I put it in Photoshop and see if there's anything else that needs to be done. Yeah. Well, they yeah. say Lightroom was designed by photographers for photographers yes. to manage large collections, large photo shoots, you know, weddings. I used to yes. photograph weddings here and there. And, you know, you might take 2,500 images oh, in yeah. a day or 3,000 or 4,000. I mean, yeah. talk about, oh, my finger. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, you want to process those quickly. Yeah. To process two, three, four thousand images. Oh yeah. Crash your computer, but Lightroom lets you do it. And I think it is a shame that more designers, more artists don't use Lightroom because it's not just photographers. It's not just for photographers. Mm. It really is a fantastic editing tool, sorting tool, yeah. even presentation tool because you oh, can yeah. export a selection of images. You can go through them, you can flag them, you can star them, you can color code them, yeah. and you can create a PDF for a presentation. I just oh, love yeah. It. Yeah. And, you know, it's not as expensive as it used to be because, you know, I resisted the contracts on Adobe for years because I took out loans all those years yeah. on, on Adobe creative suites and whatnot. Yeah. And now I just do the monthly photo, um, photo group which is yeah. like 27 a month or something. And that might I be- I really hate it when they went to subscription. Yeah. But it is, it is better. Yeah, it actually is better because I just get what I need then. And it hey. didn't get as expensive as I thought. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of subscriptions and licenses, let's talk licensing and contract terms for a second. Yeah. So we've done art, product, presentation, educating, amplifying- 
And we touched briefly on this in the first part in the, in the um, rapid fire questions, Yeah. but licensing and contract terms, are there any unique ones that you find for textiles? And let's talk about some of those terms for fine art galleries. Yeah. Well, one of the things, and it's not so much, I think it's maybe more of a sales issue, but it's it's a contract issue when it comes to things like public art. If you have uh-huh. a person who's going to be designing outdoor sculpture and things, you do need to put into the contract um, and into the budget from their end, um, a maintenance line. Oh, yeah. That's a new one I never heard. A maintenance right. line to maintain the artwork. Right. Well, for me, in terms of placing the work, you know, where where are the where are the areas of resistance? Right. And so I went through this with the artist books and galleries at that time were going, what do we do with books? Ugh. And so I, the resistance was that they didn't know how to show them. So I started building um, inexpensive but attractive enough book cradles for them, ways for them to show them. And I would educate them. <laughs> but that was a matter of um, answering educating the question. Them, you had to educate them on the presentation. Yeah. Yeah. Which otherwise would be that area of resistance. So the area of resistance with the textiles is how do I clean them? Oh, so I got a letter from um, a friend who is a textile conservator at the Minneapolis Institute of Arts. And I can include that with everything to say, here is what you do to clean and maintain them. And it's very simple. And so you do have to talk about those kinds of things in your contracts, whether your contract is with um, a hotel or just or with a gallery. You want to be cognizant of that. And and that if it's with the gallery, if they're going to return things, they're going to come back in the same shape they arrived. Oh, yes. But my responsibility as an artist also is to get them there in one piece and I have another person who works for me. So I guess I have two assistants. He's he's as needed, but he builds my boxes. And we they're they're works of art. When I build them, they still work. They aren't works of art. But you know, this stuff is dimensional and it'll get crushed if it isn't boxed properly. Right? Right. So, right. So you've got all these soft curves and soft folds. How do you ship them carefully? Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And so that's you include a steam cleaner. When it comes, take the the handheld steam cleaner and just iron out the wrinkles. Right. Well, I do tell them that sometimes. If it's smooshed, just zhuzh it. You know, I wish I knew how to spell zhuzh, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But what we figured out is um, where we build these boxes that are lined with pink insulation board and whatever the base is of the piece fits securely in that part, in the bottom. And then there are pushdowns from the lid. And Dale, who builds these things, and Sarah builds some of them too, they're brilliant at figuring out where you can press down without destroying the the shape. They're, they're wow. just amazing. Yeah. Wow. 
Yeah. And that's really interesting. You put that in your contract. So it's interesting because you're talking about the artwork. Part of the presentation is the packaging, which yep. I talk about in my book, The Artist Appeals. You really yeah. got to think about the packaging for people to take something home, for it to be shipped, for it to be transported or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it also then becomes part of your contract. I remember when I worked at the gallery at my old college, I yeah. helped them start a gallery. And, you know, it's a learning experience having a gallery. Mm. And for quite a while, I didn't specify anything about shipping to or shipping from. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, having something in there about the shipping, who's yeah. going to pay for it, yep. whose responsibility it is. is it? Yep whether you're going to insure it or not, you know, I don't insure my work because I figure collecting is too hard. And I, and I do have the attitude that I'll make more. Will I be upset if something gets smashed? Of course I will be, but will it be the end of the world? No, no. Kind of like the, the clay ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, when my son was young, um, he, he had to take, I don't know if they still have it anymore. Kumon math to learn his math facts. Oh yeah. He, yeah. Do you remember that? Yeah. They become a big chain. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I was sitting there with some other parent and, you know, our kids did not really like doing Kumon math, but my, my son really wanted at that point in time for most of his young youth, he wanted to become a scientist. You have to, you have to speak in numbers accurately. Yeah. And and so he did it. And I was sitting with a parent who said, well, here's what I told my kid. I told my kid that it is important to be accurate, because if you're building a bridge, you start on one side and the other group starts on the other. They have to meet in the middle. And that's it's pretty poignant for us here in Minneapolis, um, because the 35W bridge fell into the river with cars on it some years ago. And, and so one of the things I say is, you know, guys, this is not rocket science, what we do. No one's going to die if, if, you know, our pieces, you know, get damaged. I mean, my heart will be broken, but you know, it's not the end of the world. This in the end, this is just stuff. Nobody's in danger here. So just hold it lightly. That's the whole lightly part, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're, we're skilled. We don't want to waste the materials, but we hold can it lightly, it. but have it in writing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, and in my gallery, I mean, I've paid for conservation when when I did something really stupid, or I had a customer come in and do something really stupid. I've contacted the artist and said, "Oh my God, this happened. Would you like me to take it to a conservator? I will pay for it." Yeah. So paying for conservation is something you put in the contracts and that basically means you repair it if, if yep. there's damage? Yep. Or at least contact the artist and see what they want to do. And one of them had me take it to a conservator and the other one said, oh, happens all the time. Just send it back. I'll take care of it. So Nice. What yeah. happened? Well, it was, um, I put on for many years a very large um, national book art show. Did it for like 11 or 12 years. And, and I had an outside curator come in for this one um, from New York and he got just this wonderful set of stuff. And we had like, I don't know, 150 books 
in the gallery and somebody was looking at this $3,000 book and, and it's a gorgeous book. And then they took it and they went slap to shut it and crunched up the end paper. I mean, I heard it, I heard it happen. You know, the sound of a book of a fairly large book being closed. Yeah. Oh my word. I just, I, I thought it was going to faint. Um, so I had to call my guy's name was Neil. I had to call him and say, Oh, Neil. Oh, Neil. Ah, he said, don't worry about it. It's just the end paper. I can take care of it. Okay. Thank you. So yeah. Cause stuff happens. Not very often, but it does happen. Yeah. 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 Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing so much valuable, amazing information with us. Where can somebody see your work and see your gallery online? Where can okay. people check yeah. out? The first place to go is Susan Hensel Projects, all one word. And that will get you everywhere else. Um, that is my uh, personal website of all of my work. And from there, you can get to susanhenselgallery.com, which tells you about the gallery. Um, I've run galleries for a long time. My gallery was in what is my studio space for 15 years, I think. And I shut down the in-person programming, and but I have huge shop windows. So I kept the shop windows going. Uh, they're huge shop windows. It's a hundred year old building. So if you it, see the old buildings with those walk-in shop windows, that's what I have. Oh yeah. That alone was worth buying the building for that and the tin ceilings. But oh, uh, I, I know, I know. I put them in an old Victorian I restored down the street from us. Yeah. That bought and lived in for a number of years. Yeah. Now it is online and in the windows. During the pandemic, um, I started just doing small shows of my own work through my website. And then mm-hmm. I decided to um, look into Artsy, artsy.net, which has been around 13 years, they tell me. And yeah. I've been, yeah, I've been reading them since they opened. I mean, their their material is excellent. It's a great place to see art from the big boys, so to speak. It's it's a it's a website for galleries to okay. present their shows. And the rent um, was within my power to pay from my cash flow. So I decided during the pandemic that I would reopen the gallery with a mission to represent Midwestern artists with a particular interest in materiality. So I represent six or eight people right now and we're going into our third year. And so yeah, yeah. And some sales tepid, you know, tepid, but, uh, but eyes on the work um, has gone up well beyond just the fact that we're there, you know, um, when we first opened, it was like any show in any small gallery. Oh, 30 people came to the opening and you go, well, we'll be happy. And now we get 600 or so with in in two years. So that's eyes on the prize kind of stuff. All of this, especially in fine art, all of this stuff just takes a tremendous amount of time. But the benefit to the artists is this. They are not paying me to do this. I pay, you know, they pay me a commission if we sell something and I work like a dog uh, and so does my assistant um, to try to get things to sell. 
Yeah, I mean, I owe it to them. So I've always run my galleries the way that I want galleries to be run to benefit the artist. And so I promote, I can guarantee them that they will have um, press press coverage all over the world. Funny oh, wow. places, but, but some of them are really kind of funny. You know, Bangladesh textile times, but uh, you know, I don't know. There's some odd ones. We occasionally get pick up, you know, something that's more genuine than those, but everybody gets between 30 and 60 press links when they're done. That's worth something on your resume. They're getting us. Yeah. yeah How they're do getting, you do that? Um, well, I actually have a marketing team that I decided when I turned yeah, roughly 70, I said, if not now, when let's take some of this money that I've been saving and invest. And it's a team out of Florida. That's how I met you and, and I pay them several hundred dollars a month and they, they upgraded my website. They totally redid it. They totally redid the gallery and um, through their EIN press wire, which is far broader than my free EIN press wire. Um, they just get the stuff out there. I, I, I write the press releases. Sometimes I hire them and then they zhuzh them up. <laughs> they zhuzh them up and U-Z-Z-U-S. yeah yeah zhuzh. yeah you yeah, know they they make sure that um it's got good seo presence and they they um sometimes put in different photos than i would choose and they of course advertise themselves that's not stupid so yeah, yeah. and and so, yeah yeah and, and we get tremendous pickup we get tv small market TV pickups and we get weird newsletter pickups and occasionally out of nowhere, some art focused blog or art focused online magazine will pick up my artists. They get a catalog out of it and they get an Instagram, Facebook campaign. So that That is so generous. That is fantastic. I've been in galleries that do nothing. than that yeah Yeah, they just expect you to do all the marketing they expect the artists to do the the marketing and and as artists we need to know how to do the basics we really do and I've known that even since my art fair days you know I always did the Ann Arbor art fair one of the big ones in Ann Arbor and there's several thousand artists how are they going to find you right yeah, and so I started buying ads in the Art Fair Guide. I started printing brochures that I sent out to my list because back that was before email. And yeah. and I I traded with a friend who was a copywriter, and mm-hmm. and she wrote some good copy for me. And people actually came to my booth holding the brochure or the ad, going, "This is the booth." So I made sure I was found and it's, you want people to see your work. That's all advertising is, is putting it in front of somebody's eyeballs. Yeah. That's yeah. It's really important. I mean, and including a map at those big fairs. Yeah. Yes. yes. I'll be over here next to the porta potties. Right. Right. You know, so. whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was uh, I was right near the Heroes place. With the, they oh, had the best Heroes in town. Yeah. yeah. You want to be near the food or the beer, not the port yeah. potties. 
I oh no, it's terrible when you're next to the porta potty. <laughs> oh, it's awful. Yeah. 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 It's like sitting in the last row of the airplane. Oh yeah. Oh God. I hate that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've promoted, you know, I have promoted my work all along, you know, in whatever ways that made sense to me. And and within but, budgets, you know, you set your budget, of course. Of course right. you do. We're not infinite. But most of what we do, you know, I think the the membership to Planly might be as much as a hundred a year, but for the amount I use it, it's a pittance. Yeah. And so you you do the things that make your life easier that you can afford. Yeah. That's great advice. Do the things that make your life easier that you can afford. Yeah. And then yeah. scale up as you go. I've heard from other artists that they use, there's a lot of different softwares. I've heard of Planoly, I've heard of Later, but yeah, yeah. or even Jennifer um, Smelker, her her episode, she talks about her process, which is really smart, where she writes a blog post. Yes. She takes a whole day, writes four blog posts, one for each week yes. of the month, and then creates all this content from those blog yeah. posts. I was like, oh my God, brilliant. It was like a, oh. Yeah. I actually do something like that too. Um, the the way I used to handle all of the online stuff, it's shifted some because online has shifted. But people were would ask years ago, you know, within the last 10 years, well, should I do a blog or a website? I just want to do a website. I said, websites are great, but you got to get people to them. Yeah. The, you know, you... you the blog tells them who you are. Facebook at that time, it was probably even before Instagram. Facebook is your broadcast medium. Oh, I don't want to do Facebook. Facebook tells people that they need to go to your blog or your website. Just having one or the other doesn't do anything unless you have a way to get people to it. It's like there's some kind of magic that you're supposed to turn on the computer and your work is just going to appear in front of people. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, you got to tell them. And so it used to be the triumvirate of the blog, Facebook and and the website. And the website is your catalog. Yeah, yeah, that's the catalog. So you got to get people to the catalog. So you might write a really cool blog post. And then you always have the catalog link in there, right? It's always in there. And and then in whatever social media you're using, make sure you get it on there too. And they all have click here to put it on. Just yeah. click it. Do it. Yeah. Very good. Just do it, folks. Just, just, do, it. just do it. If you got five minutes, use it. <laughs> That's my or other come one. up with a system. I, I like your advice of using Planly and taking the stress out of it by having it pre-scheduled and just, you know, doing it planned out. I did three years of everyday posts on Instagram and I did it for my phone, but it did become very stressful because I had made a challenge. I was going to post a circle and and so every day for a year. Yeah. Um, And that turned into three years. But by the end, it was like, oh my God, I didn't post today. Uh, It's midnight. Oh my God, I got to get something up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And so it can be very stress inducing. Whereas if you plan it out with something like Planoly or, or yeah. later or whatever, um, it takes it all. So having a system. Um, yeah, it really, really helps. 
And I will admit that my, yeah, okay. Well, just to you, I will admit that my Instagram, you know, isn't as composed, you know, but I don't care at this point. Um, It's doing its work. Yeah. And, And I'm doing it in a way that I can manage. So. Yeah, and I would say cut yourself some slack too, because I'm, I'm totally with you on that. Like, I have too many accounts. I've got I Connect Crafts, I've got yeah. the Artist Appeals, and yeah. then I've got my stuff. So sometimes it, you know, it comes and goes in sine waves. Right. Sometimes right. I fall off the bandwagon and I don't post as much. Sometimes I get back on and I try a new system, and you know, I do a lot of stuff yeah. for a little while. You know, cut yourself some slack. Do what you can do. Oh, I always do. Yeah. I mean, it's like when I open a show on Artsy, I always, I have the the week ahead and the week it first opens. Oh man, all Instagram all the time for my artists. But in between, I really do have to put pictures of my dog in there because you know what? People want it. And, and I'm still working in the studio. So I'll put my things up or if I get a show somewhere, mine will salt in there periodically. But, you know, you've seen those beautifully composed ones and they're lovely. Oh, yeah. And they're like all pink. Yeah. Pink and gold or something. And I'm like, how did you even do that? I don't know. I think I'm going to vomit. I thought it was just because I'm not a graphic designer that I couldn't do it. (laughs) But I've learned to kind of color code. I make sure that I have appropriate logos um, on the posts so that they know, oh, this is an artsy post. Oh, this is just one of Sue's. Oh, this is an Odetta Gallery post. Okay. You know, so. Oh, nice. You put logos on them. I like that idea. Yeah. Yeah. Because I wanted to make sure people knew that, number one, no, I don't make that work. Somebody else does. And it's for the gallery. And I didn't want to run two accounts because I have so many followers starting over again just seems stupid. So, yeah. Yeah, so put I just a little tip to... right there at the end. Put the logo on for the different yeah. rather than starting a different account. I have gone the different account route, and uh, yeah, it's overwhelming. Yeah, I'm really glad I haven't. And there are times when I thought, oh, I should have, but no, nah, no, I've just decided to stay there because people know to find me in that way, and um, things like this increase my Instagram tremendously. So, yeah, yeah, very good. I really do. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. It has been so much fun talking to you. Well, it is fun. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. I I do these because I like it, not because I've tried to monetize it. You'll notice that there's actually really no ads Mm -hmm. in the artist appeals other than, you know, maybe for my book or for the artists themselves. Um, I've always, I just want to put the information out there and let people have access to what they need yeah to have a career in creativity and yeah that's, um, and not everything is going to work for everybody yeah I've got a friend going through a, a rather longer unemployment than she's used to and she's finally beginning to meet with some people um to have them look at her resume and things um because she's experienced at looking for jobs but things just aren't gelling and and she's going, oh, I didn't get anything from it. But she did tell me how to do this on my resume. She, Here, you got something. You know, nobody's going to have the answer. They're just no. going to have an idea you didn't have. And they then become part of your network. And then if they come across a job, they'll contact you. And indeed, that person did the next day. 
Oh, so, wow. Cool. Yeah. So, you know, you don't know where all these little spots are going to hit and you don't know what you're going to take home from yeah. it. Yeah. Well, it all comes together. Yeah. It all yeah. creates your voice. It all creates your brand. It all creates your marketing. All of these things play together and yeah, eventually create something. Well, they're all part of making the art. And once I came to terms with that, I didn't um, mind doing all that other stuff as much. And oh. and I find, um, I just think marketing is kind of interesting. And I, I've in all the galleries I've been involved with, um, this is the only one I've had just on my own, but I've been involved with other artist-run spaces. And I've been the one who's done I mean, back in print time, I was the only one who had Quark Express, so I did the catalogs, you know. And oh, I loved Quark. I did too. I don't I have no Quark. idea how to use InDesign. It makes no sense to me, but I also don't need to do that kind of work now. Yeah, but I guess Quark's dead. I guess Adobe killed Quark, huh? I think it did, and Quark was wonderful. Yeah. Um, but you know, I was the one who took on that stuff because I found it interesting. Yeah. I'm fascinated by the marketing. I mean, it's a much deeper, more challenging field than I ever gave it credit for when I was teaching the art and design field. But yeah. now that I'm trying to do both the marketing and the art and design and the licensing, I am I am in awe of people yeah. that are really great marketers. I'm like, wow, you got some. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, there. You know, I told you I knew this copywriter. Um, she wrote technical manuals and did copywriting. And and I only knew her really briefly. And what she did was something I could not have done. And the title was, I, I remember it now, because simple is important, unique finds. How simple. Now, yeah. you got to get you're not, it wasn't, no, you're going to get the best looking mug you've ever seen in your life. No, it was just unique finds. And yeah. then a picture of something. And yeah. That's so smart. Coming up with a good hook, yeah. a good headline, a good subject line yeah, is I'm, a true art form. True yeah. Art. And I am not particularly good at that. Every once in a while, I get a good one <laughs> and I go, hey, I got a good one. So. Hey, keep it and reuse it. Oh, yeah. Steal that unique finds, guys. Yeah. And I might, maybe I'll resurrect that. You know, it was a good one. Oh, yeah. That's, it's timeless. Timeless, yeah. priceless. It has enough intrigue to get people to click through and keep looking at more. Oh, yeah. what kind of finds? Yeah. Um, and it's not media specific. It's nope. not style specific in any way. It could yeah. be a unique find of a pair of socks. I mean, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it sure could. Sure yeah. Could. Well, this has um, been a pleasure. I will let you go. Yes. Okay. Well, thank you for being on, Susan. Oh, well, thank this, you. This been, I, I love these these chats. I mean, I could just go on and on, but I hope that um, you guys have gotten something out of this. I know yeah. I've gotten a lot. Thank you so much for the Yeah, well, and, and I've been listening. You know, I listen to everybody's podcasts that that you know gets in contact with me and it's just fascinating everybody's different takes and i was i listened to um jennifer's and i listened on licensing 
I listened to Pencil Neck yesterday. Um, and then Is that Julie Auger, the the art agent that you listened to the one on licensing. No, um, it was. I can't remember, but there was a, a thing about license. Maybe it was just you talking about license. Oh yeah, I've done some solo ones. Yeah, and the gal who was an engineer and became a graphic designer, and she has the bucket list pillows for the states and yeah, city. that's Jennifer Smelker. Smelker, yeah. yeah, yeah. I listened. She was the first one I listened to. That was fascinating, and I just, yeah. you know, and I thought, well, of course she was an engineer because <laughs> I thought because as I was listening, I'm going project management skills. My goodness. Yeah, she's an engineer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's been some interesting ones. Like Ashley Longshore was on. She's a fine artist, and hers was hers. I had to put a disclaimer in front of because she swears so much. Yeah, but she's in the fine art world and mm-hmm. banging it. The galleries told her that they couldn't sell her work, and she was like, "Screw you! I'll do it myself." Yeah, talk about yeah. marketing chops. Yeah, um, I'll make sure I listen to her, Ashley Longshore, huh? Oh, yeah. That's Just a good name for somebody who swears a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She sure she sure does. Uh, she swears like a sailor. Sure. Sailor. Oh, that's way too many illusions. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, she was funny. I would love to get her back on and have her do a visual one. Hers is just audio. The uh-huh. first three seasons were just straight audio. Uh-huh. And then we evolved. The fourth season became half audio, half video. And yeah. then the fifth season and the sixth season here are all, all video. But well, Zoom, Zoom has changed people. everything anyways. I mean, I think Zoom, yeah. I mean, I know it's overwhelming um, in the office. I understand that. It's really yeah. But yeah. to me, it's been a, the gift of the pandemic. Yeah. So. You might like uh, Robin Pickens, too, because hers was the one. She is a um, quilting designer so she not only designs her own fabric yeah but she also designs quilt patterns yeah she's a little bit associated to what you do but in a whole different field a whole different niche Mm -hmm. and she was formerly a um a video and she was in marketing for television stations and radio stations okay. i forget exactly what her position was but like video editing and stuff yeah. and now she's a quilt designer um mm-hmm. and i think that's really interesting because people buy her fabric and then buy her quilt instructions to yeah. make a replica of what she's created yeah yeah but yet she's not doing it as a kit which is smart because oh man assembling kits is awful i think she's done kits in the past yeah and she sells stacks of fabric yeah now that's normal in in quilting like they've got this whole um fat quarters thing going on yeah jelly rolls and whatever it's all marketing it's it's for people who don't want to cut um but yeah yeah no there i met a gal who used to be um a producer at cnn who just said the hell with it and she became an online sewing instructor. Oh, and cool. This was just before the pandemic. And yeah, um, yeah and there have been other people I've met like this. Some of the best weavers I've met uh-huh. were engineers and accountants who used to work for 3M here. Wow. Yeah. You know who might also be a funny one, a really funny one that you might enjoy was Jim Ewing. He was a gallery owner. 
Okay. So he, um, he's got a fantastic Scottish accent, I believe it is. Oh, okay. And um, we have a glass of whiskey on the show. <laughs> and I, I have peanut butter whiskey. And uh, he, you know, to a Scottish gentleman, that was like sacrilege. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll have a glass of whiskey with you. I've got my peanut butter whiskey here. And he's like, oh, sacre bleu. I guess that's French, but. No, I've never heard of peanut butter whiskey. (laughs) Oh, it's so good. There's a brand called um, Screwball. (laughs) It's got a sheep on the front. So it's got a, like a sheep. And it it is dangerously good. It, it is so, it tastes like peanut butter and it just is so smooth and so good. It's dangerous. Now mine is Malvini scotch. I mean. Okay. and I couldn't get it this last time, so I got some other scotch, which is good, but it's not Balvini. But I'll have this for a year now, and then I'll go back to Balvini. Yeah, in the winter, <laughs> when it is cold here, right. and snow, and you need a little something to warm you up. Yep. Well, little... for me, scotch is for when I can't fall asleep. Mm. Or, or I wake up in the night because I've, I've got um, orthopedic issues that, that give me problems. Oh. And, and so sometimes you just got to get up and you got to have a little shot of something to just settle it all down. And you read a book that's far too complicated for two in the morning so you can go yep. to sleep. Well, you know, it's funny. I worked on a horse farm. Uh-huh. in um, South Carolina, Southern Pines for a summer when I was in college. Uh-huh. And it was owned by a, a wonderful woman named Cozy. But I'll never forget her. I had come driving down and I had a car accident on the way and I was just so strung out and just, you know, in tears when I pulled up. And I think I was 18 or 19. And she sat me down. She said, come on in. Did you eat any dinner? And I said, no. And um, she said, all right, darling, now that you have some food in you, what do you want to drink? I have beer, I have wine, I have soda, or do you want a real drink? <laughs> I'm thinking, what's a real drink? You just included beer and wine in with soda. Yeah. Yeah. What's a real drink? So I did. I said, what's a real drink, Cozy? She says, well, I drink whiskey every night for my arthritis. I take seven of these cherries white I uh, know it was uh white raisins she's I take seven of these white raisins on a on a spoon and I think she was soaking these things in moonshine because she had them in like a mason jar uh-huh. <laughs> but you know what that sounds familiar it really does <laughs> I had never heard of that before but apparently I, I guess it's an old-fashioned cure for arthritis and sleeping I guess well, I'll give that one a try I don't have any golden raisins in the house but yeah we might give that a try <laughs> <laughs> very good very good yeah yeah well, fantastic thank you so much so oh, so, thank so you. much for being on it's been so much fun chatting with you I didn't get a thing done today <laughs> Hey, thanks for tuning in for another episode of The Artist Appeals. To learn more about making money with your art, check out theartistappeals.com forward slash go. See you next week.